What roadmap means to one person can mean something totally different to another person. But for me personally, I think the intent that I have with my roadmaps is to communicate a story. We both kind of hate roadmaps, right? Like <laughs> they cause a lot of pain to engineers. They cause pain to salespeople. When you give them a roadmap, they give it to a customer and then you don't deliver on it. Start calling it something else. Call it product direction. Call it product engagement. I don't know, whatever else you want to call it. Just not roadmap. To create the implication that this is about a path that we're going down together. Again, it's about delivering your product as a solution to organizations. Hi, I'm Craig Kirsteins. And I'm Remus Silkaitis. And you're listening to Practical Product, a bi-weekly series where we discuss product management, and some of the unique challenges we face in dealing with defining the right product and all of the coordination necessary to help teams build it right. Practical Product is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct at heavybit.com or on Twitter at practicalprod. Welcome to another episode. Today we're going to talk about roadmaps. That's one of my favorite topics because I absolutely despise the word roadmap. Yeah, I think that's fair. Who doesn't hate the word roadmap? It's like you hear it from, you know, to engineers and it's just pain. It's like now we're working on things for the next two years with no creativity, with no input to the process, and it's not gonna go like we plan. Is it fair to say that that's your definition of roadmap? That's a that's a good question to start with, right? Like, so we before we jump into it, everyone hates roadmap. But what is a roadmap? Like, how do you define it? What terms make sense there? Yeah, for me, I think there's varying definitions of roadmap, and I and I'm glad we started off with that question first and foremost because what roadmap means to one person can mean something totally different to another person, and so I think there's this spectrum by which. Roadmap can mean something very just feature-based, where it is, I'm going to implement X, and that's one type of roadmap, to all the way on the other side, which is, we're going to build some grand vision that may materialize five years from now. Yeah, I think those extremes make a lot of sense. You've got you know the Steve Jobs vision iPhone, which I don't know if there was a roadmap for that, but there was definitely some vision there, but much more abstract. Then you've got really a, a project plan, right? You've got your old Microsoft project, timeline, Gantt charts, this feature depends on that one, very waterfall, which is a very different structure. So for sake of this conversation... How do we want to kind of frame roadmap? And, and you know, I, I guess it makes most sense first to drill into what's really the goal and reason behind a roadmap. Why do we even have them in the first place, right? Because those are two very different things, kind of a, a long-term vision as well as an exact project plan. Which ones are for what purposes? Great question, Craig. So in typical PM fashion, answering a question with another question. I like that. So in my mind, I think the intent of roadmaps are really a communication tool for what is happening inside the company outward to the customer, in which case you know, features can be part of that where you're actually talking about what things you're going to implement at a very granular level. But I actually like to bring it up just a little bit higher because for me the intent of roadmaps is really to communicate a story. Like This is where we're going to go over some certain time frame, but really give the development teams or technology teams the optionality to change up what needs to happen relative to that story. And I think you hit on one key there that I really agree on, which is like it's for external, it's for customers. Like a roadmap very explicitly is outward facing, doesn't necessarily have to be public so that anyone can see it, but it's very much outward facing. You don't create a roadmap 
only for internal people. You create a roadmap to share with customers. Yeah, that's interesting. I've actually seen the roadmap done by various companies where they actually do publish everything, and it is very feature-based, and it's super transparent. But for me, what worries me about taking that approach is that it puts you down a path where if you want to do something that may not be in line with what your customers want at a very granular level, you now have a very difficult conversation to have with said customers. Yeah, and I think there's uh, that jumps to the question, you know, of okay, you have a roadmap. What's the best way to communicate it to customers? Maybe first, though, like what is the right level to communicate to customers? Because we talked about that for a brief minute there. On you know, there's a specific feature project timeline. There's more vision thematic. What's the right level that makes sense? Well, going back to the intent, for me, it's what's the story that you want to tell with your customer, and that story can happen at many different levels depending on where you are and what industry you're in. And so, classically on the show, it's always about it depends. And so, if you're really talking about an industry where, let's just say, there's massive amounts of competition, maybe it's very price competitive, and each granular feature that you implement puts you on a path that is maybe ahead of your customers, and maybe the appropriate approach is to say, we are going to implement X because it enables, you know, some functionality that you might not have otherwise had in in said industry. But for me personally, I think the intent that I have with my roadmaps is to communicate a story, a broader story in which this is about themes. It's about we want to accomplish something like leveraging our data to you know, enable developers to do more on their behalf. And so with that theme, that gives the engineering teams that I'm working with the optionality to say, okay, so we need to leverage our data to do something on behalf of our developers. Okay, let's go test a bunch of different things out and see what actually works, what sticks. And then we can tell that story down the road when we actually launch or release said feature. Yeah, I think that that sense of themes gives you a lot of flexibility, right? Like you have a thematic kind of vision, but also some idea of where you're going. And, you know, a roadmap, we, we, let off with the fact that we both kind of hate roadmaps, right? Like they cause a lot of pain to engineers. They cause pain to salespeople when you give them a roadmap. They give it to a customer and then you don't deliver on it. And now they just sold a thing you can't, you know, fulfill, and you're giving money back or a really unhappy customer. But really, a roadmap is to tell customers a, a path of where you're going. I also view it as the opportunity to use that to capture input. So yeah, here thematically is here we're going for the next twelve months. Like maybe you know in six months, integrations is a big theme for us. But I use that as an invite to to talk to our customers and get input of what integrations do you want? Like you told me you wanted you know our product to work with X, Y, and Z, but we were thinking about A, B, and C. Which of these makes sense for you? Yeah, definitely. I I like to use the term like product direction instead because it all automatically implies that this is a way in which we're going, not to say that this is the roadmap because roadmaps imply that there are signposts and things that tell you that you are definitively going in a particular direction whereas product direction is a little bit more vague in that regard. That's just a little bit of a side note. I'm kind of curious Craig, how do you create themes for those product direction or roadmaps as we're calling them today? There, there's a few different ways, right? And I, I look at a bunch of pieces of input. One is, you know, the engineer team. So for me, there's a lot of gathering input from, you know, support tickets, from our engineers directly, from market trends, things like industry analysts, but especially customers. That's number one front and foremost. 
and it depends on the size of your company. For a, a larger company, you may already have this defined process. For a smaller startup, uh, if you're five people, 10 people, 20 people, you probably don't have something like a customer advisory board. Any large corporation or enterprise is going to have one of these, and you may not have experienced it, but they've got a set of top customers or a sample set of customers in their you know, Fortune 1000, their SMBs, that give them input on, hey, here's our very candid feedback. They put them in a room together, take them out to dinner, and tell us where you want us to go in a very open fashion. What do you like? What do you dislike? And one of my favorite things about getting customers together, they'll share both the good and the bad. So you can see the really exciting ways people are using your product, but it's also uh, a place to just sit and be quiet and listen to all the feedback, and that gives you the places to improve. Do you think that that mechanism can be used regardless the size of the company? The customer advisory board specifically? Not quite. I think you need to have a certain base of customers, right? If you're starting out and you've only got 10 customers, you're probably a little early. If you're 50, 100, 1,000 customers, it doesn't need to be all your customers, right? Uh, at larger scale, you can find multiple ways to kind of capture this feedback. I find a, a customer advisory board is a selection of certain personas of customers and types of customers, and ones that speak to that that broader set. But it's not every customer, so you're uh, a limited bias there, a limited selection set, which works out really well. But once you have fifty to hundred customers, you could have the opportunity to have a customer advisory board. And this is assuming you're a higher price product. If you're a lower price product. $10 a month, you're probably not taking them out to a nice you know, steak and wine dinner. I might just because I want a good steak and wine dinner. <laughs> but, um, but you're probably doing something more like you know, a beta program for feedback, that sort of thing. Okay, got it. Interesting. So you're, you're talking to customers. I mean, granted, the whole show is about talking to customers, right? We're product people. That's, that's our job. That's in our nature. You've gone and you've created a few themes. You've talked to your engineering teams, gone and looked at support tickets, market trends, et cetera. Uh, you've come up with those themes. Now, what happens? How do you communicate that out to those customers that you've been working with? So, there's two different ways I approach it. So, there's one that customer advisory board, where I'm being much more transparent. Here's our themes. They're they're early. They're rough. oh, so it goes both ways. You're yep. Saying so, it. I'm communicating back out. Oftentimes, I'll have like a a a day once a year. We'll, we'll invite them out. We'll have them partially for updates on the company, the product, the direction, and then we'll go, you know, open sessions where they talk and kind of share with each other, um, wrap it up with a nice dinner, that sort of thing. So it it's really a two way street, right? We're giving them a lot of insight into where we're headed, and they're giving us the feedback to help shape shape the roadmap. That's one piece. The other piece is I'm giving a version of this directly to sales. So as we mentioned, uh, I think in previous shows where. I love to rotate through my interactions with different teams. So I'll have a meeting that's the same time on my calendar every week, Tuesday at 10 a.m. Once every six weeks, it's with sales. Another week, it's with marketing. Another week, it's with sales engineering. Another week, it's with marketing. And so I get coverage with all these different teams. In the sales meeting, I'm very much giving a, here is what you can communicate about the roadmap. And I'm very explicit on two things. One Here's where I'm thinking on the roadmap and what I'm thinking of themes, direction, focus for the next 12 months. And this is for your knowledge, so that if you see someone say, hey, I want support for Rackspace, then that perks up the salesperson's ears to come to me and say, okay, let's drill in, this person is interested in this. They're a great person for customer development. But then I'm giving them another version of this that's a slide that is not as transparent, not as detailed, saying, here's what you can share with anyone direction, thematic, higher level. 
Because I don't want to, the worst thing I can do is give them something of, hey, maybe we're going to work on this in nine months, then go sell it to a customer and us not deliver on it. Yeah, that's the balance that you have to strike with these product direction decks or roadmaps is that you want to communicate the future, but you can't communicate it too far in advance because the risk, to your point, is that if you don't deliver on those things or don't deliver anything associated to that theme, the risk is that you say things and that you can't put your money where your mouth is and your customers actually start trusting you less and less as a result down the road. I, I want to come back to the sales piece of this here in a second, but I, I want to talk about these two points. They sound very enterprise-focused. Is that a fair assessment? I think overall a good bit is yes. So one thing that you'll, you'll see in my, uh, my head of sales actually just came to me, ironically, earlier this week, saying, hey, I need a roadmap. I'm like, you have these things. He's like, I need it packaged this way. People are asking for it. You know, we're talking to these bigger companies. We're talking to this Fortune 100, that Fortune 100, and very much as you go to the enterprise, they're going to expect a roadmap. It's one of those kind of key terms they're going to expect. Want to see an enterprise buys? Uh, if you're a startup, they buy your your product not just because of the features, but because of your direction. Like they're investing in you not for today, but for three years, five years from a directional perspective, and they want to see if that aligns. So you can miss a whole bunch of features that you think need to be there, and if you can paint the picture of where you're going, you can punch above your weight class much more than you would expect. Okay, so sales and roadmaps. I have some comments on this one as well, because I, in my own career, what I've seen is that sales, to your point, wants a roadmap done in a particular way, which for all of you out there, that usually means that they want to see a punch list of features. It's this quarter, next quarter, the quarter after, the quarter after. It's it's at least four quarters, and here's the features. <laughs> well, to the extent to which the fiscal year ends for you, right? So if, if your fiscal year ends in, let's say, January 31st, they're going to want to know all the way up until that point what features are releasing so that they can hit their numbers throughout the course of the rest of that year. So it's actually a small tidbit there. Like, I think maybe not everyone knows. Certain companies have different fiscal financial years. This is a very interesting thing that you learn in the sales process. Um, I'm sure it's been covered on another heavy bit episode, but maybe we can uh, reference some notes if there is one. But basically, some end of you know the financial year is January 31st, not December 31st, which often means they have budget and it's use it or lose it. So you want to know when you're selling to someone what their fiscal year is or when you're buying from someone so you can have more negotiating power. Okay, so sales features roadmaps they are going to want to know the exact feature, the exact time, when it's going to be delivered and what it's going to be look like and how much it's going to be sold for because I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation in which you know the it, it goes, "Okay, great, you've launched this feature, but are you going to price it?" Can we sell this thing, or is this just like included for everybody? And that's where like the rubber meets the road as, as a PM, because you have to pull that conversation back and say, possibly you have to have done that work ahead of time to make sure that as part of your thematic roadmap that you've said, okay, this feature is a part of this, and we are doing this and releasing this in a particular way to meet a certain customer need. And sales may or may not be happy with that in your roadmap, and so. Being able to pull that back is super important as a product manager. It's going to take practice. Uh, trust me when I say that, because uh, you're going to try it once. You're going to try and land on themes, and sales is going to say, "No, I need to know what I can sell because I got a bunch of customers, and I can go back to them and, and sell more stuff to them." But your ability to do that will impact your ability to be a successful product manager. 
So if you just go ahead and roll over to sales and take what their direction is, you're going to develop a very kind of mismatched product of a bunch of features without a theme that marketing says, you know, okay, how do we market this? So so you need to hold the reins of that very tightly. It is a balance, you know, you're working with sales, they sell your product, you're working with marketing who markets it out, but you do need to hold the reins of that and find that balance. Definitely. And to to double down on this conversation, when you do work with sales, when it comes to roadmaps, it's not just about the feature that you're releasing, it's about that story. And what, what we'll say for maybe another episode is like solution selling as a product manager, because when you go in and talk to customers, really they're there to listen to you as the PM because you're tied into technology and they really want to say, okay, tell me what's going on with my own business and how you can make me successful with your product direction. And that's why I keep going back to roadmaps being about product direction and stories because if you've done the commiserate work around customer advisory boards, all your support tickets, talking to customers, everything else like that, you should be able to pull all of that together and say, here is the arc that we want to go, commiserate with your vision. If you're the CPO or CEO, or if you're working with an exec, you're able to pull what they're doing together or your own stuff and say, okay, this is where I want to go. This is what I'm hearing from the field. This is the story I want to tell. And this is how this solution is going to make you successful company via this roadmap that we've created. And early on, if you're a small startup, there's a good chance you've built something just to win one customer or hacked on something, it's held together with you know duct tape and glue. Like It was kind of that solution selling, uh, or actually just solution product, right? It was, uh, here, this isn't our core product, we've built this. And a lot of times your roadmap can be, we're going to take this thing that worked for this one customer, now we're going to productize it. So you know a lot of that of, hey, we built this one thing, make sure you do the extra work to push that over the finish line and make it readily available to everyone. 100%. I, can't, I cannot stress enough to all of you listening that this is about how do you make the customer on the other side successful because they have jobs, they have things that they need to do in the course of their own daily work life that if you are going to be creating a product or creating a product direction or roadmap, whatever we want to call it today, that thing has to be able to go in and say, I understand what's going on at your company. This is how this solution makes you successful. And, and again, don't focus on the features, focus on the story that you want to tell, and then by extension, I guarantee you, well, I don't know if we can put that in writing, but we'll just say, this more probable than not, you will be able to pull those customers in, convince them that your solution is the one, and you'll start seeing sales, and your product direction decks will, will work for your sales teams. So this makes sense when you've got a lot of you know input and clear product, and you can create kind of a clear thematic vision. Uh, I'm curious how you approach this when strategy, major you know initiatives change. Like, how do you create a a year time frame roadmap when you're completely up and shifting your your market focus every you know few months? I hate to use the agile analogy here, but really, when you look at agile and and what it's prescribing, let's just call it Scrum. You're really taking the entirety of the software development lifecycle and compressing it into a smaller time frame, which for a lot of scrum teams usually means like one to two weeks. And the same can apply to roadmaps as well. And so typically we build roadmaps for a fiscal year or a calendar year or something to that regard. And if you know that there's too much uncertainty with your direction that you're creating, you really just need to compress the time frame. And so I like to start 
with seeing if I can pull off a full year, if that's not possible because of the uncertainty that exists out you know, within your industry, within the market, within your segment, whatever it may be, compress that time frame down till six months. And if that's still not possible, bring it down to a quarter. And that would be my advice is that the quarter is like probably the smallest that you can go before it gets kind of into feature land because you cannot talk about a story within a quarter, meaning three months, build something that is meaningful and deliver that to a customer in that time frame. You might be able to do one thing against that story, but that's probably about it. Yeah, that or you've got some really, really proficient engineers that can build faster <laughs> than you can ever imagine, and I want to hire them. So, uh, you mean no, the, I think the that, 10x engineer, right? Like, exactly. You've got 10 of those. No, that makes a lot of sense. Like, bring it down smaller, but if you can't kind of create a roadmap for at least three months of where you're headed, then you need to, to slow down in some way and step back and say, what are we building? What's our direction? Where are we headed? Or, or talk to more people. Maybe you're not talking to enough people so you don't have a clear enough vision. And to that point, I would actually argue that if you are unclear, it's okay to take the time to figure that out and say that you don't have a vision right now. Well, actually, you're probably not going to go to a customer and say, I have no vision, just still buy my product. I wouldn't do that. That, that I would not go to a customer and say, I have no idea where we're headed. But yeah, I think you can still be open and say, we're defining where we're taking the next stage of our product. Please, customer, give me input. And so you, you turn the discussion around from, well, I don't know what the heck I'm doing because we don't know what that direction may be to, Okay, please provide us input, and so you kind of misdirect the the conversation and into something valuable. Valid answer to that is, you know, we're refactoring things, we're doing some cleanup to allow ourselves to move faster, which is also a very valid thing to have on a roadmap. It doesn't have to be, hey, we're adding this new fancy feature. It can be we're giving ourselves more ability to have more momentum in coming releases. So you'll see us slow down for this quarter, that quarter, because we're actually you know paying down tech debt to be able to move faster. Or alternatively, you could talk about reacting to market forces here and saying, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in this industry. We're, we're taking a pause for a moment to reassess. And, you know, we really would like your input on this because how is this affecting your daily work and what you're doing in your company? And what is the concern that's happening maybe at your executive level to say, hey, uh, we should really assess this thing happening. Like, What do we do? And so Sometimes in some industries that happens where everybody stops and says, Holy crap, there's this new thing. How do we react to this? And it's it's natural to say, Yeah, we're all figuring it out. So you create your roadmap and you deliver on it perfectly every time, right? That's how it works? No way. I never deliver on it perfectly. So so what happens when you fail? What happens when you miss? Like, I guess first off. You know what are the fun stories around where you've missed or or you've seen people miss? Well, failure is a spectrum, right? And it's it's always it depends, right? You're at the peak of it, yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. So when I think about failure in, in terms of uh, product roadmaps, it's really about delivering against what we had talked about at the onset of that roadmap and whether or not we actually met that. And so. Sometimes it's natural as a PM to create a theme for a product direction deck or a roadmap and say, okay, we're going to leverage our data to do something. And that you get to the end of, let's say, six months and you're, you're scrambling to, to build a feature that just kind of barely meets that goal. And to some extent, you might feel like uh, this was a failure because we didn't really put enough time and effort into this thing. But hey, we delivered something and we put our money where our mouth is and said, 
we did this thing. You check that box. Yeah, you check the box basically, and and sometimes that feels like a cop out, but I would actually argue that that's not a failure. You kind of turn that around and say, okay, we were still able to meet this from the market standpoint. So long as you learn something from it, and I think that's the big takeaway from the show, from anything that we talk about, so long as you learn from that scenario and apply that learning to whatever the next scenario is that you run into, that's the important part. And so when it comes to failures in roadmap, for me, it's really like the big misses along the thematic, meaning that either something we didn't see or we didn't have the appropriate conversations or this one's not really your own fault, but if there's a change in market dynamics and you don't pull your roadmaps back and then reassess those based on whatever's happened in the market, then that's a huge failure and you're just kind of doomed to fail as a company overall. And like it makes a ton of sense, right? Like if you don't stop and say, okay, we're gonna reassess this, makes a ton of sense and you need to be in front of it. For me, the more painful ones are when I didn't really have control of the roadmap or someone didn't and basically went off road, right? Like I've had a CEO commit to something by a certain quarter. It wasn't delivered a year later. So not only did he miss by a quarter or two, like that was a big miss and kind of refocused the entire engineering team because the CEO promised it. Now, there's a lot of pieces that happen there, right? Like who owned the roadmap in the first place? How did you get in this situation? Part of that is you need to explicitly be communicating your roadmap, saying this is the roadmap, not we're hoping to accomplish this feature or build this new product and launch it. Very explicitly, here's what's happening, here's what you can communicate. And that explicit form of roadmap internally needs to happen, otherwise it starts to leak out externally and can create problems. So for me, some of those misses are you know, when someone communicates something they shouldn't and then you miss it, it's a big breakdown in process, which is kind of the most unfortunate kind. But it's the CEO. They they're not beholden to anybody. They're not beholden to you as PM. Wait, are you the CEO of your company? I think we may have covered that one before, and I do not <laughs> want that CEO job. Um, but they are to the customer, right? And it's your job to enable them with the right information. So that's not necessarily a failing on the CEO. I'm not pointing the finger at the CEO saying I can't believe he went and said this. It's a failing in the entire process, right? Where did he get the idea that we would have this ready by then? Where did he communicate that? Did he come up with that on his own? Was this, you know, written down on a napkin or was this from a slide? Where was the breakdown in overall process? And for me, the roadmap needs to be something that is very carefully controlled in those processes and who communicates it and how. Just as we're, you know, vague in times in it, we're also very explicit in times in it. And and that needs to be maintained pretty well. I'm still not sure if CEO will still abide by any process that you create. I'm still a little hesitant on that. I think if he feels enough pain from missing things from customer or pushback from an engineer, he'll he'll react. But it's a partnership, right? Like you need to have a very frank, open conversation with here's what we can commit to with these resources. You give us more resources, here's what we can do, that sort of thing. So you're talking about it more from a portfolio management perspective where as CEO, if I'm an individual that it has many different investments, let's let's call it, and the investment by extension is somebody working on something to support a theme. If I deem it appropriate, I can have somebody else work on or kill something in that regard to say, let's work on this thing because I deem it more appropriate. But your roadmap is never one thing, right? It's a bunch of things. So to say that... I hope so. To, to say that the CEO can deem one thing more important, he needs to understand those trade-offs, and that's coming from product as the kind of linchpin of all those spokes to coordinate. 
Got it. Okay, so we talked about strategic initiatives. We talked about those changes. We talked about the CEO and and gosh, you know, wrangling that kind of executive in terms of what they can commit to out on the road. Have you ever communicated a feature and find out it wasn't going to work or actually come to market? And like, how do you deal with that conversation with customers? Like, where you've said explicitly, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing," and it just didn't materialize. How do you pull that back as part of a roadmap conversation? It's hard. It's not a fun conversation to have. My best feedback is be very frank. We tried this, we explored, we invested time, and we're going to keep working towards this, right? Like it's a journey. So mm-hmm. a roadmap very much is a journey, and your larger companies absolutely understand this. So you want to be clear of, are you abandoning this? Is this an outright change? Is this a thing you may get back to in the future? Is this a thing you're continuing to work towards but completely missed the time frame? You want to be very explicit. One, know what happened with it, right? Mm-hmm. Know, know your own result, and then communicate that in no uncertain terms. You don't actually want to leave it open of, well, we didn't get to it this quarter. That sounds pretty nice to be able to have that kind of conversation with a customer to say, yeah, you know, it didn't work out, that's great. Have you ever lost any sales because of that, or has anyone canceled because you've not canceled their subscription or however you were paying for or pricing your product? I'm thinking on this. I actually don't think I have. I think that that honest conversation, uh, especially when a customer gets a roadmap, right? This is a larger customer, like they know it's a journey. In those situations, I don't think I have. It's been more of when I didn't communicate that and they saw it not delivered and they just got frustrated over time. So that a big part of the roadmap is that open two-way conversation. But I'd be curious on your, your experiences. I think I've been in the same boat in which I don't think I've had folks cancel, but I think it, it is one of these things where trust erodes over time if you continually miss you may be able to go flip back and forth, but that erosion of trust over time is, is really the, the thing that kind of gets it. I will say, though, that when I think about features and how I've missed, one of the things that I do to kind of enforce the fact that this is a roadmap ahead of time with customers to make sure that they're not buying on future promises is actually in my communications, which typically is like a slide deck, is to put the forward-looking statement in there you know, after the first title slide to say, hey, look, this is a roadmap. Things can change. There's market conditions. Anything that you talk about past this point that is forward-looking is a forward-looking statement. And frankly, like we don't need to commit to it, but we'll make every best effort to. Being a startup, do you put the full safe harbor forward-looking text on there, or do you just put a... By the way, this is forward-looking. Don't make any uh, searches on it. I'm, I'm just curious on stylistics uh, there. <laughs> I think the style applies to the industry that you're in and how seriously you want to be taken based upon what you're doing. I mean, if I was a startup maybe in like fintech, I would put the whole like safe harbor thing on there because you want to seem like you're taking their concerns seriously. And if you are in a you know publicly traded company, you are legally bound to in certain cases. So <laughs> don't get the idea that you can go just start saying what's coming without implications. Yeah, for sure. And you know, for the startups that maybe could be a little bit more loose in the developer tool space if you're not selling to bigger enterprises or you know haven't quite reached that those sizes of customers yet. You know, it may behoove you from a stylistic perspective to to make it a little bit more fun in the sense of, hey, you know, this is a roadmap. This is all forward-looking stuff. You know, we're going to make every best effort to hit it, but you know, know that we'll be honest with you with you know changes that happen. And if you like it, here's a term sheet if you want to invest <laughs> in us. If you're a startup, 
Cool. So we've covered a lot. I'm curious as we kind of, you know, start to wrap up, what are some of your your favorite tactics for creating a good roadmap? Like what are tips, tricks, tools that you use commonly? It depends on the size of company that I'm in. And so for the larger companies, typically there's something that you are largely a part of that you aren't necessarily driving yourself. And what I mean by that is usually the organizational alignment tools that help bring the organization together because those then by extension help you create those those thematic roadmaps or just however you need to do those roadmaps in general. And so tools like OKR's objective key results, I think that came out of Google, or I know Salesforce does its V2 mom, which you kind of is essentially the same thing. The goal again is to say, okay, from the exec level and from the bottom, what are things that we think we should be working on and, and creating those objectives and saying how you're going to meet those objectives from a usually metrics-driven approach to say this is what we want to do to hit that objective. It doesn't prescribe the solutions in the same way that we've been suggesting all of you don't put features in your roadmaps. It's more to say, here's an objective that we have. We want to get there by measuring these things to say that we've succeeded. And so that leaves wide open the opportunity to build whatever necessary to meet those objectives. And so that's kind of one way to do it in much larger organizations. In much smaller ones where I think about the startups and places that I've been, we've tried to implement OKRs and it can get kind of heavyweight at times. Sometimes I like doing things with like and I think you feel the same way with like the effort impact matrices. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's actually one of my like favorite approaches. Uh, we basically have a effort first impact matrix, and we go through a process. We do this about every two to three months, looking at kind of two to three months out. But we've done it for a full year period, where the team comes around. Uh, this I do this with the, directly with the engineers. We write on sticky notes the the project or the feature, or whatever. Then we go around the room and, and on a three by three matrix rank it on effort first impact. And this is super rough granularity. I've written a few blog posts on this. Like once you start to put things on a grid next to each other, you can see this project is high effort, meaning hey, it's a three month project, or it's longer than that, right? It's got to be on there. And if you got something that's longer than a three month project, well, this probably goes, you know, as part of a roadmap. It's a pretty big project, pretty big deal. And things naturally shake out. It doesn't get down to the granularity of this thing takes, you know, four unit hours of work and this thing <laughs> five and a half, but it gives us a really good picture directionally. It also uh, highlights where low hanging fruit is. And that's my favorite thing when things bubble up to that top right corner. And we're very explicit to have that top right corner be low effort and high impact. And anything you have something in there, it's like Christmas morning. Are there any other tools that you use besides that, or is that just always your go to? <laughs> That's in in planning out my my feature work. That's actually my usual go to. We use it at Heroku. We use it at Citus. It's worked wonderfully. I've seen other teams adopt it without the same precision. So I think it's a very much in how you run the process. We also put OKRs in place for broader company coordination, but team local, you know, isolated to a specific kind of area of the business. That's my favorite go to tool. How about yours? I have a wide spectrum of tools that I love using. Granted, the last, I would say, maybe few years, I've been more in the enterprise context where I've been So the number on, one is, is Gantt charts? <laughs> 100% Gantt charts. You, you caught me. No, I'm kidding. I really enjoy the OKR process, to be quite honest. The challenge with that process, though, is being able to align that all the way up and down the org chart because you know, you've got your 
senior execs or your CEOs or whoever is creating theirs, and then you have to be able to snap yours to that one. And it can actually take quite a long time to, to, to run that up and down the org chart. But once you kind of come out on the other side, you're able to, just like you would with customers, and hopefully your OKRs are around customer impact, you know, you're able to bucket those thematic or the themes that come out of that so that ultimately you can go and talk to that customer about those things. And then usually for me, that's where I get marketing involved and then we start building the decks that then sales and everyone else can use as a result. Yeah, I very much love OKRs. The part that I hate about them from a roadmap perspective is OKRs are meant to be ambitious, so you're supposed to hit about 60% of them. Well, if I'm missing 40%, what am I communicating to a customer? That you're going to get two-thirds of this stuff, and I don't know which two-thirds, which doesn't help from some of the thematic of here's where we're going. So I do love them from a let's be aggressive, let's try to impact big change, whereas V2Mom is usually more of here's what we're absolutely going to hit, and then we try to stretch on certain things. But it's more of we set our goals and we hit our goals. So you're expected to hit more of about 100% typically on the V2Mom approach. What does V2Mom stand for? Vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures. And I did have to Google that to confirm. <laughs> okay, so I, I hear you on the OKR front, and I think you're, you're totally right in that, yes, they're supposed to be ambitious, they're supposed to hit 60%. I know one of the things that I like to do, and I, I espouse to my team that reports to me, is that you should stack rank your objectives. Like This is the first one that we definitely want to hit, the second one, third one down, and then as you get to about the third or fourth one, those are the stretch ones that you're Probably not going to spend time on if you if you can help it and think about you know how you share those or do you share those externally those sort of things so that that definitely helps when you know you're committed to certain things and others are more ambitious. Hundred percent. When I think about other tools that I use uh, day in day out with uh, roadmap planning, usually that involves like taking just a pulse of customers honestly and working through themes that come out of that and problems to be solved. And really, like that's the kind of bucket that I use is that when you go and talk to customers, whether it be via advisory boards or just in general, as a PM, you should really be out in the field as much as possible talking to whoever you can and then identifying how their processes work and understanding, okay, here are the problems that you're having and then what you can do is kind of mind map all of those or at least you know heat map them to some extent and say here are some of the general themes that are all kind of matching and then from that you can actually pull together broader themes for uh, the organization to then kind of rally around yeah i would uh, 100% agree if you're not at the core of it getting input directly from your customers whether that's in person whether that's surveys whatever process it is and then consuming, digesting, analyzing that, then you're absolutely just going to miss the mark. So we've largely been focusing on the enterprise buy right now where we've been talking about the you know, one-on-one customer interactions, which typically is emblematic of the enterprise sale and sales teams in that regard. Does all of this apply to like B to D companies, B to C type companies? Yeah, absolutely, I think so. Uh, I think it's a different scale and there's different tools and processes on how you capture that input. If you're a very transactional sale and you're not, if a customer isn't talking to a salesperson, it's very different how you want to capture that, right? Surveys are a very common tool and and do work. Email works. Email, ask a customer, you know, how are we doing? What could we be doing better? And some of my favorite things are just emailing a bunch of customers cold, open-ended questions, not prescriptive, not specific, See where they, you know, put your product and and think you should be spending time. 
Okay, great. So I just wanted to make sure that we cleared that up so that anything that we said here is still applicable to whether you're a B2B company, B2C, B2D, because I mean, this, is, this is heavy bits about developers, right? So whether you're in any one of those kind of selling motions, let's call it, the advice still applies. It's just the scale at which you have to operate with the audience that you're working yeah, with. Yeah, and I think the method, right? The method you capture that input should match to your overall product and sales uh, approach. Awesome. So we just talked a lot about how we capture input from customers, how we you know communicate this out, how we have some direction. We let off with how much we hate roadmaps, but I'm starting to wonder how much we actually do. I think we just hate the word roadmap and the implication of it being about features that you have to deliver within a certain time frame, and so. If anything, my takeaway from this is that start calling it something else. Call it product direction, call it product engagement, I don't know, whatever else you want to call it. Just not roadmap to, to create the implication that this is about a path that we're going down together. and that A journey, if you will. It's the journey because, again, it's about delivering your product as a solution to organizations. How is this going to solve the pain that they have day in and day out with their work or with their lives. And so definitely, definitely, it's about the journey. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a PM topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct at heavybit.com or on Twitter at practicalprod. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 